1: What's happening, G.I. Nation? This is Vlad Yudin, and we are back to the Generation Iron Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking to a very interesting bodybuilder. He's a sensation from Europe. He came on the scene a few years ago, and he did exceptionally well. He had a few slip-ups. However, he's always been able to make up for it, and he's built a very impressive social media. Uh, It was very interesting to talk to him because I saw some comments from him which a lot of people actually don't um, admit to on social media is that he really cares about social media and how many likes and how many how many follows he gets how much interaction he gets it's a very honest approach So I was very um, interested in talking to him about that and of course um, he's one of the tallest bodybuilders competing in a man's classic physique he's over six foot, he's over six foot tall and I'm very glad to bring him to the show so welcome Wesley Vissers.
0: what's up, man? Hey, what's up? Nice to finally meet you. I See know. You online, but never really talked to you.
1: Good to meet you, man. I was looking forward to it, man.
0: Yeah, me too, man. Uh, I'm a big fan of yours, man. Oh, uh, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I watched all the uh, Generation Iron uh, documentaries, movies. So, uh, really you. love the stuff you do. So, uh, hopefully one day we'll be part of one of them.
1: <laughs> absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, I think we should make that happen for sure. And you are yeah. in the Netherlands right now, right? Yeah, that's true. I live in the Netherlands. Now you born and raised there. For some reason, I assumed that you moved to the States like years ago. I didn't know you were still living there.
0: Yeah, well, it actually is my plan. It's not official yet, but I yeah. do plan on one day moving to the States because uh, ever since 2018, when I, when I did my first uh, show in the USA, I was like, okay, this is way better than the Netherlands. At least that's just my personal preference. Yeah. Like everything is bigger, it just feels, you know, the culture is better, revolving, bodybuilding, and I just feel at home there. So, uh, you know, every time I go there uh, to a different state, I'm just surprised by how nice it is there. So, definitely in the future, I am considering moving there, yeah.
1: Absolutely, man. So, how did you, I saw an interview with you recently, Um, you mentioned that Netherlands is not very bodybuilding friendly. Um, How did you get into bodybuilding and why? When, When you were a teenager, I'm assuming?
0: Yeah, that's true. When I was a teenager, uh, when I was 14 years old, I first joined the gym and, uh, you know, my my goal really was just to get stronger and bigger, Mm -hmm. but never to be an actual bodybuilder because, you know, I wasn't, as you said, in the Netherlands, I wasn't really, uh, you know, in touch with any bodybuilders at all because it wasn't really a thing here. You know, if you get in touch with the hardcore uh, bodybuilding gyms here, then yes, you will get in touch with the uh, competitors, but... In most gyms, you don't see bodybuilders here, you just see regular people working out. So I never knew what it took to actually be a true competitive bodybuilder. I watched the Olympia Uh, on YouTube. I saw Roddy Coleman, I saw Jake Cutler. I was like, okay, (laughs) I'm never going to be that big, so I'm not even going to try. But after like seven or eight years, uh, somebody in a different, more hardcore gym actually came up to me and Mm -hmm. said, why don't you try your first bodybuilding show because you look great. You're already very defined. Mm -hmm. And I was 20 years at the time and for my age, I was quite muscular. So uh, I just was just like, well, no, I can win this show because I'm not big enough. And then he showed me like a poster of like a regional show, how the guys actually look like an Mm -hmm. amateur show. And I was like, oh, maybe I actually have a shot at, at doing quite good at this. So Then I joined that show. And he offered to be my coach for free for that show. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it. And then I actually won the overall as a junior. And of course, when you win your first show, that's going to fire, i going to put a fire on you to actually keep going. So uh, that's what I did. And uh, eventually, actually became, you know, a classic pro, what I am today. So very happy I did take the decision.
1: Yeah, for sure. How did you become a pro? Did you become a pro in Europe or out here?
0: Yeah. Actually, the first classic physique show ever in Europe was in London in 2018 mm-hmm. that's when the NPC actually moved to Europe as well mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the first show was in London called the Royal London Pro and right at that time I actually won the super heavyweight class overall in the Netherlands uh, and uh, I was like okay now I have achieved everything I can as an amateur bodybuilder mm-hmm. but there wasn't anything else for me to transition to yet and that's when classic physique came to Europe and I was like okay this is perfect for me to do and uh, London is very close by as well It's like not even a two-hour flight so no jet lag nothing so I had nothing to lose and uh the only thing I had to do is drop some weight to make my weight class as an amateur still uh but that was no problem because the only benefit that gave me was get super conditioned to actually drop the weight I was very conditioned at that show and then won my pro card there and uh went on to do some pro shows after that
1: and you chose to be in the Classic Physique specifically uh, when you got
0: your pro card? Yeah, yeah, that's true. So uh, I won my pro card in the Classic Physique class and I really wanted to do that class because Classic Bodybuilding has always been, uh, you know, my motivation to be a better bodybuilder, not mm-hmm. necessarily a bigger bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. Because I always looked up to the golden era of bodybuilding like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and guys like that. And he still to this day is my idol in terms of how physique, you know, could actually look and and still to this day, I think that physique is one of the best looking physiques ever. And also mm. how gracefully he could still showcase that amount of muscle on stage. Uh, is just amazing to me and how, you know, how professional they were back in the day. And that to me, that was true bodybuilding. So I knew I wasn't was never going to be a super heavyweight bodybuilder or on the pro stage with the open guys because I'm 6'2", or 6'3", right in in between there, so I have to be very heavy to be competitive with those guys, and I don't think uh, that would be possible in the short term anyway, so Classic Physique was right around the corner, and I hit the weight limits right away, so that was a perfect transition for me. Mm -hmm. Now, being
1: so tall, right, for bodybuilding, 6'2", 6'3", is that a gift or a curse, you think?
0: It was a curse at the beginning. Because when I look at my stage pictures at first, I was like very skinny, like my legs, especially they were straight up and down pretty much. Mm-hmm. But since then, I gained uh, at least uh, about 30 kilos or 70 pounds of muscle. So you know, when you put that much muscle on a, on a tall frame, eventually it's going to fill out. And then when you then stand on stage, all eyes are drawn to you because you're the biggest guy on stage especially when you fill out the frame, then everything is in proportion, just like a classic bodybuilder should be. And I think classic physique it has an advantage because if you are mm-hmm. proportioned and you're tall and you're versed against a guy who is short but has the same proportions, you know, I think the judges would first go for the tall guy because he is more dominant on stage. Mm-hmm. He has more muscle in absolute terms. So I think that's a benefit in classic physique.
1: I agree with you. I I agree with you. I would say I would agree with you. And I I feel like that's part of the reason why Chris Bumstead is becoming so successful as well. Yeah. Because he's so tall.
0: Yeah. I agree. Yeah.
1: Now, um, it's funny because obviously Netherlands is a European country, right? And Mm -hmm. like you mentioned, in Europe, maybe it's bodybuilding is not as celebrated. But if you look at the history, right, you look at Arnold Schwarzenegger from Europe, Dorian Yates europe yeah some, of, some yeah. of the most popular bodybuilders
0: come from europe yeah that's true in europe in, in in you know in general in europe it is quite popular especially in in the uk in mm-hmm. germany in countries like that it's mm-hmm. it's very popular but if i look at the netherlands on its own like of course we have william bonack who is you know one of the best bodybuilders in the world of yeah. course and we also have barry de May, who was also third at mr olympia at one point so those are very, uh, you know, big names coming from the Netherlands, and I'm trying to be one of them uh, right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, apart from that, if you really look at the overall bodybuilding scene in the Netherlands, if you compare it to the USA, it's a lot smaller. You know, it's not just a smaller country, but also it's the culture here doesn't accept it the same way as the people do in, in the USA. At least that's from my experience. If I walk around in the USA they would actually celebrate the fact that you look good. But in the Netherlands, they might actually, uh, you know, be a bit more negative about how you look because, you know, they don't want you to show off your physique that way. Mm. And, I, and in my experience in the United States, they actually, you know, they promote actually, uh, you know, when you show off your hard work, they actually tell you that uh, I should be proud of it and that I did a good job. And uh, how, I, how did I achieve this? Instead of being negative about it, so that's the biggest difference that I notice.
1: Mm-hmm. Now it seemed like um, you know in your bodybuilding career only been for a few years now. You're still very very young. You're in your twenties, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, true. But it seemed like you've built a very loyal following, and I know that because I remember like before every like every comp- major competition, uh, Generation I would publish like uh, you know predictions, <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. like a bunch of your fans would like send emails messages and they were angry like what what, you got to put Wesley (laughs) in the top of your prediction what's going on with Wesley man I'm like who's Wesley man (laughs) and that is how I learned about you actually through your fans Um, so you have some you have some hardcore fans out there right
0: that you yeah that's that's truly amazing I think it's because um, a lot of people still are on the you know they're still deciding what classic physique should really be Mm -hmm. now with Chris Bumps as the winner I think it's a bit more clear But before they were like okay is classic physique truly like the golden era or is it simply more an aesthetic physique in with with good conditioning with superb conditioning actually i think they're moving more towards that but there's still a lot of people who who just want to see that golden era physique on stage today Mm -hmm. but then with of course the proportions of the day with a bit bigger legs of course and i think that i can represent that golden era physique and I'm trying to mold it into the modern standards as well with the conditioning. So I think that I am, you know, a unique case in, in that way that I, you know, still stand for that true you know, 70s bodybuilding. At least I'm trying to. Uh, while at the same time, a lot of other guys who are now in classic and, and ranking higher than me don't really represent that type of bodybuilding with more the aesthetic side because there are a lot of guys in the top 10 of classic physique. Who are super aesthetic they just have a shape that i don't have but at the same time i I have the height i have the you know the 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 dominance basically when standing on stage the amount of muscle compared to the grace of one's physique through posing i think that there's a big difference in what you prefer and i think there are some hardcore fans who do prefer that kind of physique and representation on stage compared to the aesthetic guys at uh, are in the top 10 right now. Now, what do you need to improve, you think?
1: Because I mean, you're very tall, so you know, if they line you up next to Chris Bumstead, you can, you know, you you are the, the same height, maybe probably taller even, right? So, yeah. uh yeah. what 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 needs
0: to be improved for you to be um, in the top 2 or, or potentially the winner?
1: Well, number
0: one is conditioning. That's something that has been haunting me for a few years now at least at the Olympia. Both times, the first time at the Olympia, I missed my peak. Uh, because that was my fourth show in a row. Mm-hmm. So I missed my peak there because I just wanted to do the Olympia, you know, just to be, just to have done it in general. Yeah. But I didn't really uh, showcase my best physique there in 2018. However, last year the prep went perfectly. I showed a lot of progress pictures where my conditioning was top notch, a few weeks weeks out already. So I was very confident in that I was able to show a good conditioning on stage when that confidence um, kind of took a turn when in the peak week then you think you can take a bit more risk in coming in fuller because you're more conditioned and that's one mistake i made um, that actually didn't uh, i wasn't able to showcase my physique to the uh, fullest ability that i have because i showed a lot of fullness mm-hmm. but i had to show the conditioning because that's the thing that the judges want to see And on top of the conditioning, I have to improve my hamstrings and the adductors, the thickness of the legs. Since I'm uh, taller, then that's going to be a big point they look at. Okay, he's tall. What do do his legs look like? Because most tall guys don't have good legs. So the upper body uh, can hang, in my opinion, with pretty much anyone in classic physique. But the lower body, that's something to improve upon as well. Do you have to train heavy for that? Yeah, I have to train heavy. Uh, do more working sets. I really feel like I have to train much harder for legs to come up than, for example, chest. I've always trained chest just mm-hmm. on feel, you know, not really going super heavy. And, I, and it's always been growing uh, greatly, just like my arms, but my legs are just a different story. You know, no matter how uh, heavy or how hard I train them, they don't seem to grow as quickly as the upper body. So I really have to prioritize the legs even more and you know, take a bit of a break on the upper body, so the uh, lower body can actually uh, you know uh, come up a bit more, and that's what bodybuilding is all about—the you know creating the proportions you need to right. to actually yeah, be sy- symmetric on stage. Do you train legs twice a week or once a week? Uh, twice a week now, yeah. Twice I, a week. I used to train every five days, and now at least every uh, every three or four days. So uh, twice a week at least. That's a lot, man. That's a lot of that's a lot of pain. <laughs> yeah, I have to do it. it. I think, you know, it's one of my most favorite workouts now mm-hmm. because uh, as a bodybuilder, you want to see progress. That's what makes bodybuilding fun. And when I train legs, I just envision them growing and that making a difference on stage. I, I really do believe if my legs can come up and be on par with the upper body and still fall with, within the weight limit, of course. That I can crack the top six and really be a competitive guy in that uh, top six. How much do you eat uh, a day? You know, because
1: obviously that's that's the key for growth as well. You know what I mean? Like how much yeah. many calories do you try to consume?
0: Uh, well, it's not super high. It's about forty five hundred, maybe to a five thousand uh, on a leg day. So for my weight, which is about two seventy right now, it might not be super high, but I at the same time. I'm trying to stay a bit in a more conditioned shape than before Mm -hmm. because I still have to qualify for this year's Olympia. And that means I would have to do a show relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason for me to accumulate a lot of fat only to just have to lose it uh, during the prep. So uh, I'm trying to grow while still maintaining a proper uh, conditioned physique, at least up to a point and then uh, start the prep. Mm
1: -hmm. Can you tell me about your 2020 prep? Um, Obviously, it was a pandemic year. Um, Yeah, I know you have a gym, right? You have your own gym, a vintage gym. Yeah, that's true.
0: My my girl uh, my girlfriend actually officially owns the gym. Mm -hmm. But ever since we got together, uh, Mm -hmm. the gym has been expanding with a lot of bodybuilding equipment, a lot of uh, free weight (laughs) movements, and uh, barbells and dumbbells. So uh, I've been able to just work out here all throughout the pandemic as well, which was very beneficial. I know that a lot of bodybuilders, even pro bodybuilders, just had to Train at home or with limited equipment, or just had to take a break. So I was very fortunate to be able to keep training, and I think that's a very uh, important reason why that prep itself actually went really well because there were really no hiccups for me personally.
1: Yeah, you're very lucky when it comes to that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So uh, 2020 Olympia, how did you feel? You know, I think you got 11th place, right? How did you feel after? After that Olympia and, and sort of like, what was the experience like going in? How did you feel? Did you, did you feel confident being on stage?
0: How did you feel in the lineup? You know what I mean? T- take me through the whole experience. Okay. So, uh, at, you know, a few weeks out from the Olympia, I started to post, uh, you know, better progress pictures showing my conditioning because I knew people were gunning on me being conditioned because if, uh, if the conditioning wasn't there, I didn't uh, stand a chance no matter how big I would be on stage. So, A lot of conditioning was being shown in the pictures and, uh, you know, soon it was um, um, noticed by a lot of bigger channels and a lot of people noticed that I was, you know, getting into very good shape for the Olympia. And I tried to actually be more of an underdog this time because I was like, okay, people don't really expect much of me because last Olympia didn't really go that well. So maybe I can fly under the radar, (laughs) but uh, that didn't really go uh, according to plan because... As you know, if you have social media, you have to post stuff sure. and eventually the, the stuff you post is your physique that's in the current shape it is. And, you know, they was, it were able to see that I was in quite good shape and condition. So um, three weeks out from the show, I actually had to fly to Aruba because, uh, you know, you can't fly directly from the Netherlands to the USA because of the pandemic. You had to be in a lockdown for at least... Uh, two weeks. Mm-hmm. So I, I flew uh, on time to Aruba to actually be in like a you know modified lockdown there. I was still able to train, but that's a safer country compared to the Netherlands. So I had to stay there for at least two weeks. And uh, you know mm-hmm. that country is of course a very nice temperature, a very hardcore gym. So it was more like a bodybuilding camp. Didn't make any mistakes. So all the pictures I showed there in the videos, people were getting excited for seeing me on stage. So. I was gaining more confidence going to the stage uh, up until a few days before the show, because that's when I needed to start loading up on, on carbs. And at first, I wasn't actually going to load up that much, but I actually dropped quite a lot of weight because I think I over just a little bit right before the show. And then you try to correct it with a bit more carbs. You think, well, I'm so conditioned, just a bit more carbs won't you know, uh, overflow me, won't make me watery. But in the end, everybody has a limit, so I did actually overcarb just a little bit. And it only has to be a tiny bit, but that's enough for a layer of water to be uh, above the uh, above the muscle. So no matter, if even if you have zero grams of fat, that water will hide the definition. So when I noticed that in the morning, I was like, okay, uh, I still look pretty good, but I'm not in the shape I could have been. So... That was quite disappointing. So even though did you panic? I, I, How did you did you did you panic when when you saw that? Uh, not really panicked because I knew I couldn't really do much about it anyway. The only thing I did was just I stopped uh, eating anything, uh, just hoping that uh, it would uh, dissipate over time. But uh, you know it takes a lot of time. Especially you can't do cardio, you can't work out because if you do any of those things those will attract water as well. So I really couldn't do much Mm -hmm. to get rid of the uh, extra water weight. So all I could do is wait for the hours and hope my shape would improve. And it did improve a little bit by posing a lot. And uh, also, backstage, there was a big mirror. And I saw Chris Bumstead actually posing in a mirror there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to walk over and do the exact same pose next to him just to see what I look like next to him in the mirror. And I was like, okay, in terms of size, I can actually hang with him, but I knew he was much improved from last time. So I already saw all the guys, uh, how they looked like before going on stage. So I knew that it would be hard to get into that first call out because I wasn't in the shape I could have been and everybody else, they looked really good. It was a very strong lineup uh, that year. So uh, I knew if I was in condition, I do think I could have made the top six, but I knew in my mind that, okay, I'm lucky if I make the second call out. So, but then uh, when, I, when I went off stage, I knew that uh, they didn't put me in the middle at all in any of the call outs. So they kept me on the outside, which means that, okay, if I want to make a top 10, and that's important because a top 10 allows you to actually go to the finals to pose again. But if you don't make the top 10, then you're pretty much out for the finals as well. So I was still praying, okay, maybe I can make the top 10 because <laughs> they compared me quite a lot. So, a lot of decisions could still be made. I actually Mm -hmm. looked at the pictures and my size was very good, but I could see that my condition, especially from the legs and the back, you know, it wasn't really as good as it could be. So if they were going to look at that a lot, then I wouldn't uh, make the top 10. So when I went uh, in the evening, you have to go backstage again and actually find out If you are in the top 10 or not, you actually ask the guy who has has the paperwork, who actually wrote down the top 10, Mm -hmm. and I was uh, spot 11. So, to me, me it actually, uh, yeah, you know, it was disappointing, but at the same time, it was like, okay, they put me at 11th place, which means they're telling me that, yes, I was better than last time but you have to be on point to be in that top 10 to mm. you know to, that you have proven yourself to be good enough to pose in the final. So to me, it's just a big drive and motivation to mm. actually fix the mistakes that I made mm. to actually get into the top 10 because it has to be earned. And I know it wasn't perfect how my last few days of the prep went. So at this, at, you know, at one side, it was a surprise and a disappointment, but in the other side, I kind of expected it. But still being at 11th place and not being able to pose again and showing some improvements that I made throughout the day was kind of disappointing because, you know, if you overcarp in the morning, yeah. if you you can do a lot of things throughout the day to actually fix your physique. So I did look a lot better in the evening. I also fixed my posing trunks, which were a little too big in the morning. So I actually brought smaller posing trunks with me as well. So mm-hmm. I fixed a lot of my mistakes, but I unfortunately wasn't able to show it in the final. So that was quite disappointing, but my personality is, okay, I know what happened here, and now I know what to fix for next time. So that's immediately what i what I did. I wasn't in the mood for cheating or or eating anything after the show. I went straight back to my diet, basically. Wow. so uh, you know pretty much any other show, I go to a restaurant right away and eat whatever I want, but this <laughs> time I didn't. I didn't really you know it felt different from other shows because I I really believe that this Olympia was the one that I could show my potential, that I'm yeah. top six material. And because I know inside that there's that it's there, I was like, okay, I have to focus even more to make it happen um, for next time. So I'm really motivated for the next Olympia this year to, mm-hmm. uh, to show uh, my best version. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about
1: uh, Chris Bumstead um, and his improvement? Because I, I saw a picture side by side from the previous Olympia in 2020. It was like, it's amazing how much he improved also in one year. Um, how do you feel about yeah. him as a competitor, as a champion?
0: I honestly didn't even expect him to improve that much. Yeah. I was like, okay, maybe he's gonna be a bit more conditioned. You know, I was like, if he's gonna look the same as the last time, maybe he's gonna win again, unless uh, Brian improved a lot. But uh, Chris improved so much mm. that I was like, wow, he's just a different bodybuilder altogether now. His back, which was his weak point, Almost became his strongest point, so yeah. that's a big thing. And yeah. bodybuilding, it's, it's even more important that you have improved than that than just looking good at, at the time. So the judges could really clearly see that Chris has improved compared to last time, which is which is why I believe that he won, and uh, that Brian didn't improve. I think compared to last time, so he was placed down uh, to third. So because Chris uh, improved so much, I think that's why. He definitely got his first place, and it's really deserved, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Do you think he's, uh, he's very blessed genetically? Like, he just has such a perfect um, genetics for classic physique. And, of course, I'm, I'm sure, I'm, not I'm sure, I know he works hard, of course, but it's almost like he makes it look easy, you know what I'm saying? Do you, do you get that feeling from from Chris?
0: Yeah, he makes it look easy, but at the same time, I know that it's also very hard. I, I watch his YouTube videos as well, and throughout the videos you can see that he struggles a lot as well. Of course, he doesn't show everything, because I think some <laughs> things are good being kept a secret, of right. course, uh, being number one. But, uh, you know, I, I know that he works very hard for it, but it is a fact that he does have very good genetics for Classic Physique, yeah. especially because of his waist and the type of vacuum he can pull. There are a lot of uh, Classic Physique competitors who can pull a good vacuum, but they just don't look as flowing or as good as Chris Bumstead's vacuum does. And because his waist is so small and it tapers so nicely to his lats and everything else tapers and flows together so well, he makes a lot of poses look very good, even though he is not the biggest guy on stage. So that's uh, his gift. But I know at the same time that he works very hard as well because getting in that conditioning yeah. Just means you have to work hard and suffer. That's for sure.
1: No, he's amazing for sure. Now, vacuum. How important is it to you? Do you feel like all classic physique guys should be able to do a vacuum pose? Do you feel like it's it's a mandatory for classic guys?
0: Uh, well, I don't think it has to be mandatory, but only if it looks better on your physique, then you should definitely at least showcase. For example, in the ab and thigh pose, mm-hmm. showcase that you can do a vacuum and then do the regular ab uh, and thigh crunch. But it's actually funny. In the Netherlands, uh, in a different bodybuilding um, community here, and different shows, the vacuum is actually a mandatory pose oh, already. Really? Classic. So the first thing literally before any other pose, they have to show the vacuum first. It's like an elimination. If you can't do the vacuum, oh, wow. you already know that you won't win. Because even if you look the best, that pose you already lost. So no matter how, how lean you are or how muscular you are, if you can't do the vacuum all the other guys are going to beat you in that pose. <laughs> so that was quite wow. funny for me when i saw that i was like wow everybody's talking about it and yeah. they're actually doing it here so uh, but i don't think it really should be mandatory and uh people have actually told me as well why don't you crunch your abs when you're doing a front of a bicep maybe it looks better but for me uh because my waist isn't the smallest because from the front, it's like like Arnold's waist, it's a bit wider. Mm-hmm. So I have to play around with the vacuum. And mm-hmm. with my lat width, has to play a big role in the V-taper. And if I crunch down my abs, I also also pull in the lats. So it looks a lot less like a V-taper mm-hmm. in uh, my physique. So when I do a vacuum, I can showcase my V-taper a lot better. Mm-hmm. So, and, it, and it also uh, makes my stomach a bit, more, uh, le- a bit smaller. Of course, not to Chris Bums' level because that's simply how it's put together, but at least uh, Mm -hmm. because of my wide lats and wide shoulders, it still looks like a good feet taper.
1: I guess your strategy comes out based on your genetics, right? Based on your genetics, you have to create a strategy for your physique and what what it can potentially be, right? Yeah, I agree. That's interesting. Um, All right. I want to talk to you about social media. Uh, I know you brought it up. You know, I brought it up too, and um, I've seen an interview with you where you're very honest about how you feel about social media. And from what uh-huh. I understand, you it's very important to you. Social media is a very important part
0: of your career. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Social media plays an uh, int- integral role in, uh, in the business as well because you know, I started a YouTube channel a few years ago and that's what my business thrives on mm-hmm. because I do coaching, workout plans, nutrition plans, workout clothing and all of that I show on my YouTube channel. So that's a big part of social media, but also Instagram is simply, it's, it's very simple. The more likes you get on the post, the more people actually see it and care about it. And the more eventual sales you can make by your popularity. Sure. So at the same time, I want to help as many people as I can with my videos and the, and the advice I give on my posts. But I, I at the same time, I realize that the more views, the more likes that I get, the better it will be for the business. And that's just the honest truth about how social media works and how it can help yeah. uh, make you money, how you can make your passion actually your job. You're the first person in the fitness industry
1: on a record to say that you care about the likes, the number of likes your pictures get. <laughs> I know everybody does, but nobody would ever go on a record in a video yeah. and, and actually admit it.
0: Yeah, but yeah, but to me, it's quite uh, logical because, you know, you have a social media account and you post pictures on it and you don't, you know, I think it's even possible to, um, to shut down uh, the number of likes you can see, but no one does it. And the comments for example but everybody wants to see as many positive feedback and as, of course you know the more the more likes you get the more positive people think about you at least that's you know almost uh, a fact when you post a picture and the more likes you get it's literal called likes so a lot more people <laughs> like you for of that course. post so of you know course. maybe it's, it's it's not the truth but psychologically it does feel like it if you if you post something and you think you're gonna get a lot of likes and you only get half of what you thought something in your mind is okay what did I do wrong or does it not look as good as I thought or well, something like that so that's the reason that's
1: the reason why Instagram and other social media they wanted to start hiding the likes right is because yeah, yeah. basically, there's a generation of people now that just only posting things from their personal life or from their business based on, like a program only on what kind of likes they're going to get from it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so now it's they saying it's 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 driving the generation into the wrong direction because now it's just about validation for posts true, as true. opposed to true. you trying to just show off your life right on, on social media. So like I what you're saying is 100% correct. What, what the social media is now realizing, I guess, is just like what's going to happen in the future, you know? It's going to be all just based on, I guess, likes, you know what I mean? But maybe that's just the way life is.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, it's, it's just true. If you, uh, if you just look at how human minds work, if you're in a group, you want to be liked by everybody in the group. Mm-hmm. But now on the internet, the group has expanded to everybody on the internet. So mm-hmm. when you post something, you want everybody who sees that post to like it and that's just how human nature works if you look at uh, evolution for example but uh you know you can think very deeply about it but in the end it's quite simple because you know when you start a social media account if you if you don't have any followers no one is going to respond or see your content and you want as many people to see your content as possible and the more people who like it the more that you are uh, aware of people actually seeing your content as well that's the you know, the number one reason why you should post something is for people to actually enjoy your content. At least that's especially why I do my uh, YouTube videos at the beginning. I didn't even turn on advertising. I just wanted to post, you know, mm-hmm. my advice, my workouts yeah. and my tutorials just because people asked me a lot of questions on how to do certain things in the gym. But it grew out to be a business. And, of course, if you can make your passion into your job, that's, of course, what you should do. Yeah, for sure.
1: And also, you know, I hear a lot of people saying, well, if you want to be a real bodybuilder, you got to, you got to separate it from social media. You got to put your phone away. You got to go to the gym. You got to train. You should not even have a phone in the gym. Uh, The question is, then how do you provide for your family? Right. I mean, without social media as a bodybuilder, you literally can't provide for for, for you or your family. Right. I mean, just the prize money. You can't just, you just rely on that. You know
0: what I'm saying? No, that's for sure. If, if if you could actually live off the prize money from the bodybuilding competitions, then I do think there will be a lot less social media bodybuilders. But right now it's a double-edged sword because yeah. you know there's one group who indeed says, okay, if you're focused on social media during your workouts, the workouts won't be as efficient and you won't be as good as a bodybuilder as you could be. But at the same time, if you don't engage in social media, you will on the other side have the stress of not making enough money to, to sustain your bodybuilding lifestyle at all. So it really depends on how you look at it because social media helps you actually make money to live the lifestyle to be a bodybuilder. So if you don't do anything social media wise, you would then have to do a job that's very labor intensive or very time consuming, which then takes away from your bodybuilding uh, uh, capabilities. So it really depends on how you look at
1: it. Absolutely. And it was interesting, like I was talking to a lot of bodybuilders from the 90s, right? 90s, early 2000s, before the social media explosion. And basically, back then, they would actually go to expos and sell pictures because it was on no social media. Right now, nobody yeah. can really do that because what's the point of buying a picture? For, uh, you just go to Instagram and see a picture. <laughs> Everything, everything's free. You know what I
0: mean to a certain to a certain degree. Yeah, that is true. So, um, I even feel weird, like when you are at Olympia, there is a meet the Olympians uh, yeah. stand where a lot of there's a lot of tables and everybody has their own spot. And there you have the possibility of selling your merchandise or your stuff. And so you could also be like, okay, I'm going to have posters there and I'm going to sell them with my autograph. But nowadays, you're right. A lot less people are willing to pay for something like that. They yeah. pretty much assume that the poster is free and mm-hmm. that you're just doing it uh, you know, out of your goodwill. <laughs> yeah. but, you, know, you do have to make money somewhere. And I do think if, if the supporters are really behind you, and really follow you and if they follow you they actually take something out of it like advice or you know some you know, advice on how to work out or how to be a better right. uh, bodybuilder then it's like uh, you know it's like a trade basically mm-hmm. because if I uh, take me as an example I wouldn't be able to um, do all the videos that I do and uh, have consume a lot of time into it if I didn't make any money from it because then I would have to do something else to make money and then I wouldn't have time for the video. So it's really, it has to be a win-win for both. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're very much right. Uh, back back in the day at the Expos, they it's did definitely... uh, you know, sell a lot of pictures for money. And uh, you know, I know that, for example, Ronnie Coleman still does it uh, today, I believe. At the Expos, I ask money for the pictures. But in my opinion, it's just normal. I mean, a lot of people are offended that he asks money for something like that. But... I think it's you know what he has done for bodybuilding, for example, and how many people benefited from just knowing who Ronnie Coleman is and watching his videos. If you want a picture from him and you know it costs money, then it's always gonna be your own decision whether you want to support them or not. So it's well, never going to be something forced.
1: Yeah, I think it comes down to supply and demand. If there's, if there's a demand for it, you know, there's going to be a supply, yeah. you know, it's got to be demand. Exactly. But what about, okay, so you, you obviously, you're a professional bodybuilder, right? You have, you're a credible mm-hmm. guy, you have, and, and you're also growing your social media. Does it bother you when, let's say there's some other fitness influencer who has, who's not a pro, who doesn't have the same credibility as you, but has a lot more following? Do you feel like it's unfair? Cause I know a lot of guys, a lot of the pro bodybuilders they hate to see that. They hate to see like an influencer. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They, and they call them bad for the sport, bad for the, bad for, whatever they call them. You know what I'm saying? They, they're hating on them basically. How do you feel about that when you're seeing guys that are not professionals but have a huge following in fitness?
0: Well, honestly, I think they're very smart because they found a way to actually also make a living from the same industry but in, in a different way because we as competitive bodybuilders, the only difference is we actually go to the shows and do the shows But, you know, the lifestyle itself may not be that much different. We, of course, have to be more serious. We have to suffer more in prep. Mm -hmm. But some of those influencers, they always have to stay in shape for social media. So they also have to sustain, uh, you know, semi-healthy lifestyle for most of them, at least. They have to know some nutrition and some workout uh, techniques. Mm -hmm. The only problem that I have with some of them is if they give advice, that's wrong. And there are a lot of bodybuilders who actually are professionals. They know what they're doing, but their message is hidden because of all the influencers' popularity. So sure. those knowledgeable bodybuilders never get to the surface because of all of those influencers who, give, who might give the wrong advice. I think that would be a problem. But as long as you are a very popular influencer, you never do a show, you get a lot of likes and followers and you give out the right advice, it's actually helpful that I don't have a problem with it at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, what about comments? Um, you know, if you see bad comments on your page, do you, what do you do? Do you, do you do? you respond, do you delete them, do you block them, what do you do?
0: Uh, usually I don't do anything. Um, sometimes I uh, scroll through the comments and like every one of them, and I just don't like the one that's negative. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty much most what I do, because I know that even since day one, um, up until this day, a lot of people Well, not a lot of people, but some people are always going to be negative. Most people will always be positive. So that's just a given. And that's something that you should know before getting into uh, being a bit more of a popular YouTuber or a a social media person, because you will always get some negative comments and you should just not not let them face you. Because as everybody knows, most of those comments are made by people who are anonymous. So you don't even know who it is that's saying it to you you don't of know course. if it's someone credible the only comments that i would look to that would actually uh quote unquote hurt me is if uh, someone who, who i look up to from the golden era for example or professional bodybuilder actually says something very negative on my post and actually means it uh, that would be you know a lot less uh fun than someone who i don't even know just says something negative because those people there, there every day anyway, so that's not a surprise, but if someone very, um, you know, credible in the industry does something like that, then that's a different story.
1: Yeah, but then, then you would respond to them or you would say yeah, something? Yeah, then I would
0: of course respond, then I would respond to them and try to engage <laughs> and uh, see what it's all about. Oh man, sometimes
1: a lot of guys do respond and it's like it becomes a long thread. you ever seen like a long thread <laughs> on social
0: media, back no, and forth? It's, it's useless. It doesn't end. So even yeah. if you're right, you're not right. So it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, yeah. What about, uh, let's say you get ready for a competition, right? Like Olympia or something like that. And, and do you go to other, you know who you're going to compete against? Do you go to their social media to see their progress
0: pictures? Um, for the Olympia, I, I of course follow Chris Bonset, for example. Uh, well, some guys who just follow because I like their physiques and like their personality and I just automatically see their progress. But, um, usually I, I, I do look at their pages, but I'm not concerned about how they look compared to how I look. For example, I just, the only thing that I know is that I have to look, be better and look better than last time. And no matter what, no matter how they look, it's not in my control anyway. So I only have control of myself. And, um, you know, never really did anything to me uh, watching those progress pictures from other people. Because, you know, throughout the years, I know how to manipul- manipulate filters and pictures and lighting. So I know that what they look like on the pictures is never going to be what they look like in real life. So mm-hmm. it's uh, never the truth anyway. Mm-hmm. And you, you feel comfortable sharing your progress pictures, like before the show? Yeah, not really. Not, not those official progress pictures where you're like showing your full physique in your posing trunks i never really do that but i show a lot of uh, my physique in uh, in the videos for mm-hmm. example or uh, you know every once in a while when i do a full day of eating on my youtube channel i show my current physique update for example i know a lot of people just want to see it because you can see it in the numbers in the videos mm-hmm. if you see physique update more people are going to watch the video because they just want to see Okay, what does this guy look like uh, when he's eating this much or when he's eating this little? What does that represent in his physique, for example? And that could be interesting to a lot of people. But um, the only true progress pictures I post on Instagram are just poses uh, during training or after training that I know look pretty good but are not representative of my complete physique.
1: You really study social media, man. You're really professional with it. I can see that. You can really, you know I know
0: know how it works. Strategic, Yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) But, but, you know, like I said, on the record, you you one of the only few guys that would talk about that. Because most people just say, I don't care, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, they're obviously not saying the truth, you know what I mean? It's clear. Yeah, I think I
0: think the truth is always, you know, I don't think it's bad to tell the truth, because every, you're, just like you're saying, everybody in their mind already knows what's true. Sure. But sometimes it just takes a long while for someone to actually say it. So, yeah. uh, but to me, I don't really have a problem with it.
1: Yeah. What is the toughest thing about being a bodybuilder
0: uh, for you? Um, It's the amount of time you have to invest every single day in the food and the training. Uh, If I was alone, I really wouldn't care, but I have a girlfriend, I have a son. So with Mm. family, it always becomes a bit more difficult to prioritize things because Mm. especially in prep, you know, as a bodybuilder, you have to do everything perfect. And sometimes that takes a lot of time mm-hmm. and it can be experienced to uh, to others as being selfish, for example. Mm-hmm. So that's, I try to find a balance always between those things, but it's quite difficult to do sometimes because you know, okay, I can spend more time with the family, but if I do, I'm going to miss this meal. And if I miss this meal, then this prep is going to be less effective. So it's always in your mind, you know how to balance things like this but that's to me the most difficult uh, mm-hmm. aspect about it
1: have you ever thought about you know we spoke about the fitness influencers right and obviously you're a pro bodybuilder but have you ever because you're so proficient in social media have you thought about just going into the route of being uh you know a social media bodybuilder like an influencer and kind of like putting the
0: competition to the to the side have you ever thought about that no it's really competing and working out that's my true passion social media was just built around it so i never did social media to become popular Mm -hmm. i just happened to become it because people picked up on me because you know i always showed my uh shows what, what i did for them how i worked out and that's my true passion because for years i was a bodybuilder and did nothing with social media I was very late with Facebook, very late with Instagram. I never really cared about it mm-hmm. un, until I noticed that it was quite useful to have social media as a bodybuilder, actually make money as a bodybuilder. So I'm very happy I found out about it quite soon in my career, and it uh, really paid off. Mm-hmm.
1: And like you mentioned, chest is one of your stronger points, right, in, in your physique. Mm-hmm. What is the secret? What, what do you do to build a uh, uh, a, a strong chest, and what kind of exercises do you do to, to, uh,
0: to build a chest like yours? Well, I always used to do just a regular barbell bench press, but quite different from, a lot, from how a lot of other people do it. Uh, I used to watch uh, Arnold's pumping iron, and also the outtakes from pumping iron, because sometimes there are exercises not shown in the movie itself, yeah. but they are shown in some clips. And for example, you could see Arnold doing an incline bench press just a few reps but i could see okay how is he doing this he's grip gripping the bar wider he's letting the bar uh drop down a chest a lot higher than i'm used to mm. so i re- mimicked how he was doing the exercise and found out that okay i'm actually getting a better stretch i'm getting a better mind muscle connection getting a better pump like this because my physique actually resembles in terms of the height and how long my arms are Uh, to Arnold. So I could actually Mm. look at how he works out Mm -hmm. and do the same as he did and feel, okay, does this work for me or not? And it actually worked quite well, especially for chest, because we all know Arnold's chest is just enormous. So (laughs) I just watched, okay, how can he create such a big chest? What did he do for it? And it was just the basic movements, just the barbell bench press, incline bench press, the dumbbell flies. But one thing that is very important is the full stretch. So that's mm-hmm. why you have to go all the way to your chest with the bar to actually stretch out the chest fibers. And also with the, in, uh, with the uh, dumbbell flies he said you have to go all the way to the ground with your dumbbells to actually feel that maximum stretch. So mm-hmm. you have to go for the maximum stretch for the maximum tension and don't use the front delts when doing the presses. Just really retract the shoulder blades, really focus on the chest and really you know, not do anything else but feel that chest because don't want to feel the front delts not as much the triceps, not the joints, mm-hmm. just the chest itself. And when you notice exercises that really work for you, where you only feel the chest and use full range of motion and combine heavy loads with high volume, then that chest is going to grow uh, over, of course, a couple of years because that's what it took for me mm-hmm. as well. What do weight you usually do on a flat bench? Uh, I used to do a lot more. Actually, I moved... Um, away from doing the f- a flat bench press at the beginning of the workout. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, I do other movements first mm-hmm. and actually end with a flat bench press mm-hmm. because it's, uh, you know, you don't you want to take less and less risks the more you get into the bodybuilding game. Because mm-hmm. when I was very young, I thought I was indestructible. So I, it doesn't matter what I did, even if, I, if my form on the bench press was all wrong, it didn't matter because <laughs> I was fine. Nothing yeah. really happened until at one, one day you kind of feel pain in the elbow or you feel the front del being inflamed and mm-hmm. that's when you start to think about how your workout should be uh, structured yeah. so uh, that's when I actually moved the, the, the bench press to the end of the workout but I used to do about um, you know 180 kilos so I think like that's 405 I think 405 pounds yeah. for like a, a oh. set of 10 but wow. I never really went above that because uh, I knew about the risks of tearing your pack if you go really heavy on the bench press. Mm-hmm. And I heard that from Barry DeMay, actually, when I, uh, I uh, you know, of course, because we both live in the Netherlands, a few years ago when I was an up-and-coming bodybuilder, mm-hmm. we talked uh, quite a lot about training and you know, how he regretted actually going too heavy on the bench press and that that kind of was the ending of his career as a bodybuilder in the Mr. Olympia. He never was the same after that. So whenever, whenever he said that, it was stuck in my mind that I really shouldn't risk it anymore on the bench press that much and go to other exercises that are just safer, more bodybuilding friendly. Even though the bench press worked for me in the past, I already built a good chest so I could just use that muscle on other exercises to make it grow even more, mm-hmm. but not risk the injury as much.
1: What about decline, uh, decline bench or, or dumbbells? Is that important, you
0: think? Uh, well, it's not really important to do the decline, but it has actually been proven that um, the decline bench press actually works the uh, upper chest just as much, if not more, than the incline bench press. So that's very interesting how mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people think if you do the incline, it's going to be for the upper chest, mm-hmm. the decline for the lower chest. But actually, if you look uh, when you're shredded and you're doing a decline bench press, you can actually see. All the way to the top of the muscle of the chest, the the, the contractions mm-hmm. and the squeeze. So, but I do believe that the angle of the decline should only be a couple of degrees, like ten or fifteen degrees down, because you only want a slight uh, difference in angle. Because if you do it too much, it's just going to strain other muscles. It's going to be an unnatural motion to do, and it's just not going to feel natural. So, yeah. uh, to me has a place, but it's not really one of the more important movements for chest. Mm
1: -hmm. And then I want to ask you one more thing about the functional training. How much cardio do you do? And do you do it
0: early in the morning on on an empty stomach? How do you do your cardio? Well, I do my cardio uh, by just walking outside uh, on a steady pace because we have a dog as well. So I make it a practical thing as well. So I just walk for half an hour before breakfast in the morning just to keep up my cardio that way. And also about half an hour uh, before the last meal of the day. So at least an hour of walking or at least 10,000 steps. Uh, I have this watch, for example, that tracks my steps. Yes. And I just want to take at least 10,000 steps. So I know that my movement throughout the day has been uh, plenty. And uh, that also really does big difference in not doing any kind of cardio in the off season compared to doing the cardio. Mm-hmm. Because first of all, you can eat more. Your digestion is better. But also your performance in the gym is better because your heart rate, uh, it, you know, can eat more easily adjust to uh, do longer workouts because mm-hmm. if your cardiovascular level is very low, your heart rate will shoot up really quickly and stay there for longer compared to if you have good cardiovascular health, it will go down faster so you're mm-hmm. ready uh, quicker for the next set and that's a benefit for bodybuilders. Mm-hmm
1: um absolutely now what is your strategy for 2021 you have to qualify for olympia obviously right what's going to be your strategy what show you want to do and and when well i
0: want to do a european show for sure because i first of all with the pandemic i don't want to spend another three weeks uh, in another country just to be in lockdown just to do the show that does bring quite a lot of stress and financial stress for example with it as well because it's all of a lot of spending that you didn't normally have to do so what I want to do is just take the car and just drive to the country for example there's going to be a show in Portugal in July Mm -hmm. maybe I'll do that one Uh, but the uh, IVB calendar is a little um, dynamic right now sometimes for example there was a pro show in Italy this April but that uh, went away I actually wanted to do that one because I could keep my shape easier to that show but Mm -hmm. that went away so I really want to see what the most optimal show for me to do is, but it's going to be in Europe for sure. And uh, it's either going to be like in June or July, or if that doesn't work out, it's going to be very close to the Olympia. So it's going to be in October then, so the start of October. So I can actually take that shape to the Olympia as well. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: Wesley, I want, to say, I want to say thank you so much for the interview. I, I personally feel like you're the future of, uh, of, of classic you know, bodybuilding. Thank you very much. Uh, I feel appreciate like, you it. know, you got both things covered. You know, I feel like you're going to dominate the actual division one day. And I also feel like you're going to, your social media is going to, you know, go through the roof, man. I feel like you, you know, you're really going to be like the, the future. You know what I'm saying? Like in the next couple of years, you're going to be the the hit man, you know? Uh,
0: thank you, man. I appreciate, appreciate it. It's that's, it that's really the piece, plan.
1: Man. That's really what I'm going for. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. Thank you so much. Uh, I think we should do it again, maybe like later in the year. And I feel like yeah, sure we thing. should be part of this and... And I definitely want to be, you know, do some projects with you in the future, man. Maybe like a film or something like that. You know what I mean? I'm I'm a big fan of yours, man. Thank you, man. Sounds really good. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take
0: care, man. Visit GenerationIron.com for even more GI exclusive content on all things bodybuilding, fitness, combat. And strength sports. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are downloaded.